Good evening, everybody. It's simply the best. It's a Tina Turner classic. Love that song. Um, we're a huge pop wrestling podcast. I'm my name is Scott Rogers. Huge pop tonight. We have wrestling with purpose with CWF Rockwell once again on a Monday night. Hope you guys came to get the word of the Lord and find out about this cool guy that's here. This man in front of me, in front of you guys, he calls himself cool, the man with the hands of steel. He's been with NWA. He's uh, he was ROH crew now, and he's been with CWF. Welcome to the show, Seth Delay. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Scott. I'm doing great, man. Couldn't be uh, more happy to be sitting here and talking to you tonight. This is an awesome opportunity, man. Thank you so much. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Um, so like I asked everybody, man. Um, what? Oh, man. Oh, man. As a kid growing up, you had to be a wrestling fan, am I correct? Of course, of course. Can you, talk, can you walk us through your childhood and um, how you, what kind of wrestling fan you were, what you like to watch, who your favorites, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. All right. Well, uh, I was born in 1985, so uh, the. Literally, the earliest memories and and being born in uh, in Georgia, in uh, Athens, Georgia, actually Georgia Bulldog territory. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, Georgia boy, country boy, born and raised. But uh, you know, wrestling was wrestling is life here. Obviously, football is life for a lot of people. But uh, you know, I was raised in a baseball home and a wrestling home at the same time, and uh, born in '85. So that was that was classic rock and wrestling era with the uh, WWF back in the day. And, uh, you know, my favorite era, I think by far was, you know, was that era, even though I was just born. Um, but I remember, you know, you know, that was back in the day when, when my dad had those, those big camcorders, you know, you're, uh, you go around filming everything and, and dad was filming, you know, I remember he was filming when I had the flu at three years old um, in the hospital and but there's this one scene where he's filming me and I'm up and I'm like staring at the TV and I'm like, you know, I'm entranced at the TV in the hospital with the flu. And uh, I was in there for a few days. I think it was pretty bad. Um, but I heard commentary and it was Jake the Snake Roberts and Honky Tonk Man on the TV. So obviously my dad turned it to that. So, you know, that, that weirdo watching wrestling while I'm sick in the hospital. Uh, but hey, no, it's it's just been in my blood ever since. Though, so, you know, it's always been there, man. Wrestling has always been there. So I grew up a fan, and then rock and wrestling turned to sort of the, I guess you call it the the cartoony clown era. Um, but hey, I loved it all the way through till the Attitude Era came along, and then, you know, that's when everybody wanted to get into wrestling right around that time because that was the hottest time this world has ever seen, probably ever will see. Right. So. right. Oh, did uh, you have any favorite um, wrestlers that you like to watch? Was it uh, were you a Hogan guy? Were you a Warrior guy? Were you no none of those? Obviously, obviously Hogan and Warrior. You know they. Um, I was listening to something today where um, uh, where you know some vet wrestlers were uh, you know talking about Ultimate Warrior and how he was you know he was a character you know more than a wrestler and everything. And um, but I mean that. You know, now coincidentally talking about it tonight, that just he was larger than life and Hulk Hogan as well. They got you. different at that, you know, is how uh, animated he would be. But I would just, um, 
you know, but it you know for a kid though that's just it just gets your mind flowing and to you a five-year-old they're making perfect sense they're talking about something important um <clears throat> so obviously i loved watching them but you know as i got i was also a huge jake the snake roberts and million dollar man uh ted dibiase fan love mr perfect love bret hart and as i got older and then became a wrestler um you know those were the guys that i loved watching i loved watching jake jake the snake go uh macho man um you know perfect and heart bret hart obviously Shawn michaels without a doubt uh but you know i'll just say this i'll say this though hulk hogan i remember watching a match with him and terry funk from like 1988 or something and i was like my goodness that match was fun to watch and i actually took a lot of things some fun spots that they put in that because terry funk was the man obviously but you know, Hulk, Hulk could go with anybody. He really could. I think he doesn't get enough credit for that. Sometimes I'm a Hogan. I'm a Hogan guy. I I stepped away from wrestling um, before the like in mid mid ninety early nineties. Yeah, and I was watching it, and all of a sudden NWO shows up, and I'm like, yes, you know. But uh, you mentioned Jake the Snake and Macho Man. One of my favorite most. I, I remember it to the day. It's when Macho Man and Jake the Snake were wrestling, and Macho Man was trapped in the ropes, and that bite. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that yeah. I mean, yeah, that back in that day, back in that era, that was excellent stuff. Yes, it was. You know, I, I know they could do it. I bet you, how much more good <laughs> would it be today? You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, it's crazy. And you know, and, and watching that as a kid, watching that snake bite—not just a snake bite, a cobra bite. Yes. You know, it, it, Macho is notorious for just being crazy off his gourd. So even back then, when when that was kind of considered the Wild West of wrestling, um, where, where just anything went, but Macho was just there, nobody liked him. It was like just let him bite me, you know. It's like well, <laughs> let him bite me. <laughs> that's what you want. They had to block it out, you know, black it out on the screen because that's how scary it was. And I'll never forget the little kid's face. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I don't know what happened. You free always throws up. You still there? Yeah, I got you. Okay. So going through your, your childhood age, growing up in school and going to college, what inspired you to finally become a professional wrestler? What where was the moment you said, yep, I'm doing this? <laughs> um, well, college never came into play, man. That That's, uh, like I said, halfway through school. Um, so I was actually, uh, let's see, 13 years old. I was 13 when I made the decision that I was going to become a wrestler. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what that, you know, that moment was. There was just things going on. Um, I remember my parents had separated around that time and, um, you know, my older brothers were, were not living with me anymore. And I was uh, living with my step family. And at the time, you know, I'm, I'm only 13, about to be 14 years old. You know, you're in that indifferent stage. You're trying to figure things out. Like I'm kind of going into a rebellious stage. But, you know, so it's that time where you're really trying to figure things out in your, you know, where you're going and what you want to be and everything. But nobody knows what they want to be when they're 14 years old, when you're really being serious about it. But at that point, I'm telling you, I just like I looked up at the heavens one day and said, God, I am going to be a wrestler if it's the last thing I do. And uh, man, I chased it um, from that moment on. It just became my complete focus, which, 
you know, would lead to uh, NWA Wildside at the time called NCW just happened to be uh, just happened to be 10 minutes down the road from where I lived. It was just, wow. yeah, that was just God saying, I got you. You say you want to do it. Let's go. Absolutely. absolutely. So can you describe the last training, what training school you went, who trained you and what does it feel like to let the fans know? I mean, even me, what does it feel like to bust your butt in that ring day after day to get to where you're at? Oh, well, when you said, what does it feel like to bust your butt? I, I was feeling like you was, you was about to say, what does it feel like to take a bump for the first time? Well, what does it feel like to take a bump? <laughs> Second time, third time. And, and you know, there's a, there's a technique to it. And I'll just, I'll never forget after my first few bumps. Uh, oh, okay. I'll finish saying this and then I'll go back uh, to where I was supposed to go with this story. But yeah, man, after my first few bumps, uh, I couldn't keep my head. You're supposed to keep your, your chin tucked. So obviously when you slam back, you don't hit your head on the mat and, you know, give yourself a serious concussion because uh, right. that, that can happen. But after your first few times of trying to, you know, your neck muscles get strained. And I remember I just couldn't, I couldn't keep my neck, my chin tucked. So I was just, it was just nothing I could do. I was terrified. I thought I can't do this. My neck won't let me do it. It's not strong enough. I, I'm out of my element here. Uh, but like I said, um, you know, when I decided I was going to be a wrestler, I thought that just meant it's either WCW or WWF, one of the two. And um, I didn't realize at the time independent wrestling exists and not only exists, but it's, you know, it is the um, it, it's the heartbeat. It is the absolute core of where wrestling um, you know, of, of the bloodline of wrestling, of how it gets to the big show. Um, and so, and also, I didn't know at the time that NCW, what would also be NWA Wildside in Cornelia, Georgia, was, you know, the growing hottest uh, southern, southeastern, basically in the whole country. There was no promotion like it. And uh, it's where, you know, guys like AJ Styles, uh, our, you know, Ron, Ron the Truth Killings came from. Um, uh, our truth, um, and shoot, I mean, multiple others, obviously. But uh, so when I was, I told my mom I wanted to be a wrestler, and she, bless her heart, she went to work and found that school right down the road from me. And when I went for my first training session, the first man I met was AJ Styles, who was sitting in his. He's like 22 at the time, and he's sitting in his little, uh, little black, um, little black coupe, whatever sports car he was driving. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's the first guy that I ever met and he was technically my trainer. He wasn't really the trainer of the school, but, uh, Rick Michaels was, but, um, uh, you know, he let AJ pretty much do it because AJ was just gifted. He was just blessed right off the bat. And, um, he was only like maybe eight months in at the time. And, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, first, first night, uh, showing up at that, uh, NCW arena, um, and, uh, AJ showing me the ropes a little bit. Uh, got a few bumps in the first time couldn't you know kept hitting my head it was a painful first night show up two nights later again on thursday first night was a tuesday then thursday and uh, i remember that thursday training that second training session was a very memorable training session it was it was very fun and uh took you know i mean i have a picture somewhere from that training session um but that was the start of it, man. And then that place would, you know, end up becoming a legendary place for uh, independent wrestling. And I was 14 when that started. So wow, 14, 14 years old, I started rolling. So have you ever received a phenomenal forearm yet? 
Oh, heavens, yes, of course. Uh, that man's that man throws a forearm. Let me tell you that that ain't no that's no joke. <laughs> he didn't even have to fly to hurt me with it. He would just you know he would just bop me with it. Um, there's a that's a lot of a lot of history with AJ. I was you know a lot of people called me his protege back in the day, and and I was I, I was, but at the time I'm only 14 years old. How are 14 year old boys like? We're we're annoying. You know we're aggravating. And, uh, AJ, AJ got that for me. I was like his little brother, but I looked up to him so much, even though I was so competitive against him and I was determined to not just be as good as great as he was, but I wanted to be better. Um, I would tell him that I'm like, I'm gonna be better than you, dude. Shoot. I can do anything you do and more. Not true. Not true. I can't do half of what he does. Um, but I sure tried. And, uh, so that made for a fun dynamic for the time that I had around AJ. Um, but that was you know, a lot of people tried to be like AJ over the years. Um, lots of guys, you know, Seth Rollins, uh, you know, plenty of guys made their way, you know, following in AJ's footsteps and, and, you know, taking that model after him. But, you know, AJ was just a special guy. And I, I remember it wasn't even about how gifted he was. It was what he was like inside and his, you know, the spirit that man had the faith that he had my second training session. I said that was my most memorable. It wasn't just about the fun we had after that night. He sat me down and asked me if I knew Jesus Christ and that was, and he, you know, we talked for a good few minutes and I was coming off rebellious years, listening to, you know, hard rock music, Marilyn Manson type stuff. And I think my mom got in his ear or something. And he was like, you're going to stop listening to that Marilyn Manson. You're going to church this Sunday and I want you to show up next Tuesday and you're going to tell me what you learned at church. Nice. Boy, if I didn't show up at church that Sunday and I sat in the back, back row, but I was listening to every, I was like, okay, what did he say? What did he just say? Okay, write notes, write notes. And then I showed up and AJ never asked me about it on Tuesday. Of oh. course, he just wanted to, he just knew he got me. He knew I showed up. Absolutely. Get you in the building, right? Oh, my, yeah, he got me there, man. My pastor, my pastor, I was in a youth on, um, my pastor would tell me, uh, if, if you just speak one word and someone hears it, they hear it. If they're in a room, they're going to hear something. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So. And that was, you know, that was, it, it didn't change me right away, but it, that, that seed planting, people don't understand how important that is a lot of times. Just that little, you know, you, you're not always going to be the change agent, but you can be a seed planter and that seed yeah. will it will may go dormant. It may be buried. You may forget it's there, but it was planted and, you know, just let God take care of the rest. And AJ was just there was nobody like him when it came to that man. He was truly special. Now, would you say he's your mentor? Or do you have mentors from training that you still pick your brains? Well, AJ was obviously a very, you know, he was one that. Um, I could always go to and, um, you know, I could, I could talk to him about anything. And I remember, um, you know, because, you know, I, I thought it was good and that I started so young, but it also had its negative side because, you know, I went from being a very, literally a very popular kid in school in my junior high, like, and, um, you know, maybe arguably the most popular kid in my school. Then the very next year, as I'm going into high school, I just completely went to the back burner. I wasn't a part of any school. 
no sports teams, no nothing, didn't join any clubs whatsoever, didn't hang out with friends because my world was wrestling from that point on. Everybody knew that. Um, so, you know, uh, but anyway, I went through some real tough years during high school. Cause I couldn't pay attention in school. I didn't care about school, you know, so I was do just enough to get by. And I remember, you know, my parents couldn't couldn't get me to change. But you know what got me to change was, uh, you know, Bill Barron's the guy who, and Rick Michaels, the ones who ran the show to say, hey, Seth, we are hearing you've got bad grades. So, you know, they actually grounded me <laughs> and took me off the shows and said, you don't get to come back and wrestle until you bring us a report card or progress report in three weeks, whatever it was. And you better have all passing grades. It can be C's. But they better be all passing, no F's in there, or you ain't coming back. And uh, I remember being so mad at the time that that was happening to me. But AJ would be a guy that would come up and just say, hey, I love you, bro. And I got you if you want to talk to me, if you ever need help. So always a great mentor as far as it goes. And there were others, obviously. But yeah, right. So yeah. Kid Cool, the man with the hands of steel. Where did those name, those wrestling names come from, man? All right. So um, how did Kid Cool start? Being 14 years old. Oh, OK. So my first I did a full on year of training because I was too young. I, you know, you're not supposed to be getting in doing shows at 14, 15 or six. Like you're supposed to wait till you're 18, um, you know, or if you have parental consent. OK, but usually even then you're taking on a tough, you know, a tough task um, doing that, you know, weekly every weekend whatever um so being from um habersham county uh our uh, high school mascot was high school mascot was called the habersham raider and so my uh, first match when i just turned well, i didn't just turn 15 it was october of 2000 yeah october of 2000 was my first match and um so i was 15 years old and uh, I literally didn't have a name picked out or anything. I didn't have wrestling gear. You would go to Walmart and get their, uh, you know, get their windbreaker pants. That was back when that stuff was kind of being done. And uh, uh, but I didn't have a name. And it was like, you know, Seth Delay was like, that's not a wrestling name. And um, so our booker was like, well, you know, obviously you're a kid. So we got to call you kid something. So I was thinking like kid quick, you know, kid crazy, kid cookie kid everything whatever and it was like well you know you're from the the raiders so we'll call you kid raider so kid raider was my name for like my first two matches and then um i always liked the idea of having like you know kids something but with a k so kid k something uh, and ron truth uh, r killings did the same thing he was k quick uh when he was coming through there um, but I still like the idea. So that's how cool finally got used. And obviously you got to spell cool with a K or else it doesn't work. You know, right, right. even though cool cigarettes is, is kind of what everybody was thinking I was talking about. What are some of your favorite wrestling moments or matches, um, places to wrestle at? Oh man. Well, obviously there was no atmosphere like wrestling in that NWA wild side atmosphere. Especially back then, especially back when uh, when AJ Styles was, you know, on top back then, that was the hottest atmosphere that you could find. That's the reason NWA Wildside was the number one wrestling promotion, um, you know, in, in at least the southeast, without a doubt. Uh, so, I mean, you know, 
basically being raised there around the best talent that independent wrestling had to offer. Everybody came through there. Every big name would come through there at some point. Um, but as far as other places, I, you know, obviously you go up North and you wrestle anywhere up North, whether it be New Jersey, Philadelphia, you know, whatever have you, you know, you're always wrestling in front of really, you know, fans. I mean, these people are fans. Um, you know, you're not having to, they're not just showing up for a show and eating popcorn. They want to control the show like an orchestra. So, you know, you got to be on your A game or else you'll be booed out of the building kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it's hard to compete with uh, wrestling up north. Um, but, man, there was just nothing like a good old southern NWA wild side atmosphere back in the day. So. Well, you mentioned ROH when, as ROH crew, were, and that's when CM Punk and Danielson came through there, etc. Did you meet those guys, or was it just a passing by? And if you so, if you met them, I'm a big CM, I'm a big CM Punk guy. I love them. I hope he shows up at Survivor Series. I don't know if he will. Um, I don't care about the scrum. I oh, whatever. I have my opinion about that. But oh, what was that like to? Rob elbows with those guys. Oh man. Um, all right. I don't want to butcher this story, but uh, so my first ever meeting with CM Punk, uh, you know, this wasn't with Ring of Honor, but it was with Ring of Honor's sister promotion called Full Impact Pro in Florida, <laughs> which basically was Ring of Honor. It was just Ring of Honor in Florida because you know Gabe Sapolsky, who uh, everybody knew, you know, was you know famous booker of ring of honor uh would also go down to florida and book there and bring all the guys down with him so um you know once i graduated high school man i was hitting the road right away 18 19 years old hitting the road and going down to fip um and meeting cm punk <laughs> if i if i remember this right i show up my first show and uh i want to say I remember Samoa Joe was there. Homicide was there. CM Punk was there. Brian da Daniel Bryan wasn't there. He was somewhere else that night, but he was he was going to be coming through. And I, I shook CM Punk's hand, but I missed Homicide's hand or something like that. And uh, and so CM Punk made a point to, uh, you know, to kind of call me out and was like, oh, kid, you getting heat on your very first night. Uh, you know, and I was like, what are you talking about? He was like. Uh, finally, I found out that I missed Homicide's hand, you know, and, and obviously they're just playing a good rib. I'm only 19 years old at the time, so they're just messing with me. Um, but, you know, that CM Punk was always the locker room leader. He was always the, the you know, his personality, his aura and his ability, his love for wrestling, um, you know, how good he actually is in the ring athletically or whatever. That's debatable. But that man, you know, nobody could command a crowd. Nobody could uh, direct a match, you know, just control an atmosphere, control a crowd like CM Punk. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I remember I hadn't met Daniel Bryan yet, but I see CM Punk. So I, after, you know, trying to make amends with Homicide and make sure I had sh shaken everybody's hand, Samoa Joe's hand, uh, making sure I didn't miss anybody, I go up to CM Punk. And he's peeking through the curtain watching a match. And I'm just trying to, like, kind of, you know, get up next to him, rub elbows with him a little bit. He wasn't superstar CM Punk yet. This was right before he got signed uh, by WWE, uh, maybe just a few months before. 
And, uh, but I'm trying to just talk to him, just kind of say something, try to sound cool standing next to him. And he looks at me and says, Hey, he, he turns around to somebody and says, Hey, doesn't this kid Seth look like Daniel Bryan? I guess cause our hair, we both had our hair kind of down on our foreheads, touching our eyes, everything. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, the other guy was like, yeah, he does look like Daniel Bryan. And, um, Supposedly, I was asked. I was asked to potentially replace Daniel Bryan in a in a tournament somewhere, and I'm trying to remember the name of that tournament right now. But I was asked to replace Daniel Bryan when he couldn't make it, and uh, so that's the first thing to pop in my head. It was like, oh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. I was asked to replace him for something, and uh, you know, and Punk looks at me and says, "Oh, are you saying you're better than Daniel Bryan? Is that you know?" Is he was just just messing with me right off the bat. He knew that this nervous kid trying to get next to him. And uh, so he was always, you know, just cutting on me. And then I remember he did his match. He comes back, he's sitting across from me. He's all, you know, sweaty and everything. He's taking off his wrist tape and he just looks over at me and I'm just sitting in the corner, just trying to mind my business. And he takes it and he wads up that tape and just goes, Watch and just chucks it across the room and hits me doink, right in the forehead. Uh, but he's just, it was just his way of just messing with a kid across the room. And, uh, so he was, that's just how, so he's messing with you, but he's also trying to bring you in. He's trying to make you feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm nervous as everything, but looking back now, he was, he was just one of the, the best, you know, one of the best locker room leaders that you could ever see. Awesome. 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 So we talk about your favorite moments, Would you say back in, um, 2003 July when you beat Sal Renaro to capture the NWA Wild um, side junior heavyweight champion be one of your favorites. Oh man, well Sal, um, when Sal, there was a whole lot of history with Sal and Sal Renaro, um, who also went on to have a amazing career with Ring of Honor, and he's still going. He's still going to this day and uh, works with NWA. Uh, NWA power to this day. Um, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the most creative minds that I've ever known. And so, but at 16 years old, I was put with him. Uh, I, I was called, so I was kid cool at the time and he was going by kid ecstasy at the time. And so he was just starting to come through NWA Wildside, and I was wanting to have a singles career, but, um, you know, I've, I'm wanting one thing. Bookers are saying, what are we going to do with these two kids sitting here? So they put me with Sal, Kid Cool and Kid Ecstasy. And, um, you know, Sal was like 18 and I'm 16, about to be 17. And <laughs> and so we started a legendary tag team called G-Rated because we're both underage. And so we're both, uh, you know, we both only watch G-Rated movies. You know, we're just kids, uh, kids amongst men. And that became a, uh, a just a incredible i was watching a promo uh people will send me promos all the time on my uh, social media pages and and uh you know me and sal cutting g-rated promos and they were just so over the top you know making fun of everybody and uh he was he was so much fun and our energies matched each other but you know at the same time i wanted to be taken seriously sal always knew how to be light and uh so we would always we always had a good you know, contrast to each other. We always worked well together and then against each other. So I was basically when my career was just getting started, um, I was put with Sal against my wishes 
and then it grew into a, a you know a fun relationship and then we were split up and we wrestled each other thousands and thousands of times um at some point culminating in me beating him for the nwa Wildside junior heavyweight championship i wouldn't even say that was our best match i mean we actually had an amazing match in fip years later and it was a tlc match not climbing to get anything it was just a tlc match tables ladders and chairs so just use your weapons and uh, that was probably my favorite match i ever had with him um yeah, there was uh you know we did some pretty incredible spots that night um but oh man you know that guy he can still go like nobody's business and he would always he would always get the absolute most out of me so you know I always miss him and i look forward to getting in the ring with him again awesome man so you're in georgia you're traveling to texas you talked about new york new england stuff are there any cool, funny road stories that you could share? Oh, man. Um, there is a lot of road stories. There is a whole lot of road stories. Um, shoot. Where to start? <laughs> you know, it... I, think, I would love to... I'd love to be able to... I'll get to one here in just a second, but it's just every time you go out on the road, it, I, me, when I was going to Florida uh, to do FIP after I graduated high school, once a month, uh, uh, every single month, and this went on all the way until my mid-20s, um, until I decided to step away from FIP. But when you go on the road, you take it upon yourself to you know, try to live like your superstars, try to live like you're, you know, like you're already in the big time and, you know, act like nothing can touch you, nothing can hurt you. So it's like, you're always looking for trouble. You're always looking to do something a little bit dumb when you're out there. So it, it, it was always something. Um, but I remember this, uh, this one classic story, um, with Sal Renaro, so I had, uh, I would have been right around 22 here. Um, so I had gotten a job as a salesman and I was making really good money uh, in this sales. This was right before the economic crash of 2009, 2010, whatever that was. Uh, so this was around 2008, I think. I had just bought a new car. And so Sal Renato didn't have his own car yet. Um, but we're going down to Florida. So this is a uh, eight hour drive, you know, to go down to Florida and, you know, we're just fine tuned for this drive. Eight hours is nothing back in the day, but for whatever reason, right after I bought this car, I, uh, I chose to allow Sal to get behind the wheel of my brand new car. Um, and we was maybe four hours down the road at this point. So we're, we're in, we're in South Georgia. We're getting close to the border. And uh, I told Sal, okay, you can have the wheel. And I actually, I remember having Bret Hart's autobiography in my lap as I'm sitting in the passenger seat. We also had a couple other guys in the back seat that were riding down for the first time with us. And uh, Kyle Matthews was one of them. He went on to be a uh, multiple-time Georgia wrestler of the year. Really good dude. Um, it was his first time coming down with us. But I'm sitting there. With the Bret Hart book in my lap, I'm reading it because I'm a huge Bret Hart fan. And this is right after I let Sal take the wheel. 
we're pulling out of a gas station and he goes to you, you, you exit to the right and then you do a little U-turn to come back to the red light. And as he U-turns, this dummy U-turns right in front of an oncoming car. And I look up to my right and say, Sal! Oh. Crashes right into us. And, um, you know, that was, so that wreck happens and our trip is, you know, ruined like we're not getting to the show on time now when we would do these shows you would have a friday night and a saturday night then you drive home on sunday so our friday night is currently ruined we're not going to make it to the show on time and i'm having to call my insurance get a get another car brought to us get this car towed and uh so they got us into another car a couple hours later and uh and so we finally get on the road again i say no sal you can't drive anymore i'm driving now so we get about another hour down the road. We're in Florida at this point, and we stop at a subway. And uh, just, to, you know, because obviously it's been a long day, so we're hungry, going to get some sandwiches. We go into subway, and I'm mad. Like, I'm ill at this point. And, <laughs> and Sal, of course, taking it upon himself, if he sees me being ill, he wants to try to cheer me up. Sal's way of cheering somebody up is if he sees you standing in front of one of those potato chip stands, at subway with the freestanding potato chips right there he sees me walk in front of that and he yells out hockey check and he hockey check means you hockey check somebody into a glass wall in hockey except he's hockey checking me into a potato chip stand nice potato chips go flying everywhere um and you know the people people at subway we didn't i don't remember us getting in trouble i just remember legitimately wanting to fight sal after that sal had to run out of the building and uh, run to the car and i had to i was fuming we actually we got to the show late but me and sal were still able to do our match i think okay we didn't wrestle each other because i would have hurt him if we did so we didn't wrestle each other but we both got to do our matches the, then we go to the hotel that all the wrestlers are staying at. It's this, you know, cheap hotel where, you know, you, you're walking on the outside to, you know, there is no inside hallways at this. Uh, and, and so all the wrestlers would convene in like two different rooms, but they're side by side. And so me and Sal are crossing paths as we're walking in front of one of these hotel rooms. And it's got a big glass window. You got your main entrance door and then a big glass window. And I see Sal pass in front of this glass window. And so light bulb, hockey check time. I say, hockey check. <laughs> and he goes flying through the glass. It, you know, there was a, a wrestler sitting on the other side of that glass, sitting in his chair while they're all talking about whatever. And Sal goes landing in this guy's lap. Glass goes everywhere. And, uh, you know, there's there's like 30 wrestlers all around that see this. But the best part was you have just regular people across the way on the other side. They're thinking a murder was just committed or something. So, you know, <laughs> police are getting called at this point. <laughs> and uh, but I remember the the hotel manager walks up, comes upstairs and looks at the, the carnage and just looks at everything and just says, oh. Not again. <laughs> All right. Somebody come down. And I raised my hand and uh, said, I'm sorry. That was my fault. It was just it was just like, oh, it's just another just another Tuesday for them, you know, or another Saturday, whatever it was. And it was like fifteen dollars to replace that glass. And I paid them right there on the spot. So and then 
after the next show, we went to the beach in Clearwater, Florida. And since Sal had a bunch of fresh cuts on his body, I, uh, I took it upon myself to uh, drop kick him into the ocean, hopefully let him burn a little bit more. So I tried to get my pay, tried to get my uh, receipt on him. There you go. That was just another classic day in the life. There you go. There you go. What's the most challenging aspect of being a professional wrestler? Challenging is, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would say maybe the physical side of things, like you know, uh, keeping your body, uh, keeping your diet, and everything like that. But the really the biggest thing is, you know, keeping your mind, your spirit, you know, keeping positive about things, and and that's not just with wrestling; that's with anything. You know, with if you're really going after a dream and you're trying to make something happen, chances are you got to starve to get there. Uh, and, and wrestling is no different. You, you know, you'll go years and years and you'll see somebody, a friend I've seen many, many friends, um, uh, Steve Walters, for instance, who went on to become Dash Wilder, uh, Austin Creed, obviously, who, uh, uh, you know, went on to be a part of the new day. Um, you know, you just see people that, you know, you're probably better than in the ring, but you know, some, you know, they've got that something extra. It's just your, you know, uh, Dash Wilder was friends with William Regal. And it's just who you know, right place, right time. And But it'll mess with you thinking, is this ever going to happen for me kind of thing. Um, but, you know, your, uh, you know, your place in the history, in the annals of time, in, the, in, in wrestling, um, you know, that's it, it just make the most of it regardless. Um, so that's the toughest part is, you know, doing 20 years in wrestling and then looking back and seeing, you know, when is my time? Is that coming? You know, should I just quit? You tell yourself to quit five years in, 10 years in, 15 years in. But then you think, well, no, maybe I'm just one step away. Um, but, you know, it, it's all you're living the dream no matter what. So and, that's, and that's how I feel with this podcast thing. You know, I I study. <laughs> I look at paint, I look at film, I look at, you know, whatever. And I, I do this on like five times a week and, you know, I know what I do is good. And I, I try to be professional and then you see busted open with all those guys. And of course they're big names and stuff like that. This is an example. And you're like, ah, I'll never get there, you know, but, yeah. not, but then you want to quit and then you're like, no, you're doing this because you love it. Yeah. And that's how you do it. So. Um, if you were not a wrestler, what would you be? I would say my other dream, like I said, I was raised in a baseball home, baseball and wrestling. And I was a, uh, a big time baseball, still am, you know, huge baseball guy, huge Atlanta Braves guy. And, uh, you know, was from absolutely, absolutely. Tomahawk chop time. I, um, you know, first it's not just the first wrestling memories. You know, I, I have just as emotional memories of the Atlanta Braves from the 1991 World Series when I was just old enough to know what baseball was, you know, five, six years old. The greatest World Series of all time, in my opinion, was a 1991 World Series with the Braves and the Twins. And, uh, you know, so I was going to pursue baseball pretty hard and loved playing it. I was always considered to be one of the best on my teams that I was playing on. But right at 11 years old, I was uh, involved in a pretty bad car accident. I was on a bicycle, actually, and uh, was um, 
hit head on by a car going 70 miles per hour, lost control and broke my femur bone, snapped it in half. And um, so that cut my baseball career, at least cut it short for that season. And then, you know, I'm going into my teenage years. So I never got back into uh, baseball. I went into wrestling after that. So but I never stopped loving baseball. And I'd like to think I probably could have done something with that. So we talk about wrestlers and then there's the fans. So how important are the fans? That's what, that's what, uh, I mean, that's what drives you. That's what you're, it's not about what you're doing in the ring. It's not about the spots that you do. It's not about the signature moves that you come up with. It's, it's about the fans reactions. It's about, you know, uh, creating those moments for them, those memorable moments that they take home. Um, it's just, I mean, obviously the fans is what it's all about. Um, you know, it's important that you have a good level-headed mindset, keep yourself humble, you know, don't think you're above the fans kind of thing because without the fans, you don't have anything to do. You're just somebody in a squared circle. Um, and, uh, you know, a personal way for me to look at it is I remember a, a great match that I had uh, again in my early twenties. And it was with a guy named Anthony Henry who would go on to have a pretty, he's still doing some really good stuff on the scene right now. And uh, he was, he, I was the uh, leading him along in that match at the time. And I was putting on, I remember I showed up, I came from my job, my sales job that I had at the time. And, uh, and I showed up like 15 minutes before bell time and we're first match and I'm defending a title against him. It was our called the North Georgia championship of that uh, uh, APW Roy, uh, wrestling in Royston, Georgia. And this was a big show event. And I, so I get there right before bell time and I, I lay out a match. It's like a Mr. Perfect Bret Hart match. So a lot of uh, the stuff that they would do. And um, cause me personally, I don't, I don't, have favorite wrestlers as much as I have favorite um, chemistry, you know, two guys with chemistry. So, you know, I love watching Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart. I love watching Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. I love watching Ted DiBiase and Jake Roberts. You know, I don't just like watching Ted DiBiase. If there's no Jake, then it's not the same thing. So I put together that kind of match. And I just remember at the end of that match, when uh, he gave me a big splash off the top and the way he did it, I called it. So, you know, he would be angled behind me. My head would be like, I'm on my back because I miss an elbow drop. He jumps to the top RVD style, but I'm like, where is he at? You know, I don't know where he is. And before, by the time I figured out, he's flying through the air and comes over the top of me. and Boom, right on the top. Quick one, two, three. And I just remember seeing a row of little kids on the top row uh, of the stands, you know, jump, you know, as high as they could with excitement. And that, you know that to me is what made it just knowing that it made somebody jump. It made somebody happy. It made somebody remember that match. You know, that's, that's why you do it. You do it for their reaction. That's awesome. Um, what is the misconception in the business that makes people question if what you guys do is fake or not? The misconception in the business that makes people question whether it's fake or not. Well, unfortunately, um, you know, every, the the days of kayfabe are pretty much done. Um, and so everybody wants that pat on the back for being a great artist. 
uh, instead of being a, you know, a great wrestler. So, um, you know, and, and hey, I got I got my moments, too, because, you know, I, I consider myself an artist for the most part. You know, you're a creator, you're creating stories and you're creating moments. But still, um, the best way to do that is to have that uh, that that suspension of disbelief and, uh, you know, have people like I, I just started. Uh, I had taken some time off after my daughter was born. I actually took five years out uh, of wrestling and then I just came back um, here very recently. And I've had two matches back just here in the last two months. And my second match back after five years, somebody uh, came up and told me that, you know, there was they saw my match and they thought that was the one match that they thought was real. You know, we were really going. And that's, you know, you got to you got to try and put that ego aside and, you know, uh, take the risk of, you know, you know, don't worry about that pat on the back for being a good artist. Let's. You know, you sacrifice your ego and let's let's do whatever we got to do to make people believe, if only for a few minutes, that they're watching a real fight. Um, and that's, you know, but that's just stages that we go through. You know, some even people like fan, to do high spots. Even as a fan, um, you know, <laughs> the reason why I do the podcast is it's like self-care for me. It gets me away from real life for one, two hours, you know. And so there's an indie there's an indie indie um, promotion here in in um the Panhandle in Panama City called XIW Extreme Impact Wrestling with Jackson Slade and um Adrian Whisper and Bordell Walker and those guys Damian Wayne, um and those guys and uh I attended one back February 2022. Yeah, I've, I've went every, I went every other month since then because that those guys. That, that you, don't, you don't go away thinking it's fake. I can just tell you that. Yeah. They put it all on the line and it's real. Oh, yeah. And so. I, I remember Vordell Walker when I, my first match ever for FIP was against Vordell Walker. Yeah. Big dude. And, uh, and then I, I went back and, uh, you know, came back about a year later and finally started coming full time. But, oh, man, that was, you know, that was way back in the day. And good. And Damian Wayne, too. Oh, I miss him. Very good dude. In front of the podcast, a friend of mine. Um, matter of fact, I think he's working for Tri-State Wrestling right now. Yeah, and he's like the booker or promoter. So him and I are trying to work out things. So, um, love the guy. The guy's amazing. So, um, so this is one of my favorite questions, and it's, I didn't really get it until I spoke with uh, Tokyo Monster Kahegas, which is a wrestler down in the, in Florida here. And we talked about this for an extent, uh, length of time. How important is brotherhood in the business? And who would you call your brothers in the wrestling? And what does it mean to you paying your dues back to the business? Brotherhood in the business. That is a very good question. And it's extremely important because, you know, we talk about fans and how important that is. And that's one aspect. But. The thing that you will when you the reason wrestlers have a hard time, the reason your guys like Ric Flair could never retire, um, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily the, the moments in the ring, the moments in the spotlight. It's, it's the moments with the boys. You know, it, it's uh, you know, it's healthy competition, but you also you got each other's backs. It's those moments on the road, you know, that we talk about. Like I said, too many stories to tell. And I could give you, you know, give you that one good one. 
but there's a whole lot more because you know you're putting you're trying to be real life superheroes together um you know you're just letting go of you know the everyday regular nine to five expectation kind of thing and you're just you're just living as freely as possible um and hopefully without you know being a, a butt to anybody kind of thing or you know being dangerous with anybody um but you just you're just having fun together um eight hours in a car with you know completely oh gosh I, i'll just i remember being packed in a car like going down to florida or wherever we was going you know packed like sardines in this car um uh you know me sitting on you know three guys in the back seat me sitting in one of their laps and then you know the the front seat's only supposed to have two people but you got somebody sitting in the middle up there as well you know because you know we're all pretty much broke none of us are making big money um so we're you know we're trying to keep it as cheap no two cars just one car we're going to get down there in one car and then i remember coming back we stopped at a truck stop still packed in like sardines and this is after the shows so we're all smelly you know and this is guy packed in a car smelling bad it's you know very uncomfortable and i'm i'm still i'm the kid of the car so you know i'm still 19 whatever i was at the time i'm still the young boy in that car so i'm not getting no comfortable place to sleep and i'll never forget uh trying to sleep on somebody's lap or even in the floorboard or whatever i was i finally opened up the car door and spilled outside and i'll never forget hitting that concrete in that truck stop parking lot and then just saying you know what i'm gonna lay right here in this parking lot on this concrete i'm staring up at the stars saying what am i doing here kind of thing but you're just at the same time that's one of the, my favorite memories you know it's it, that moment of just you're just living your dream and you're living it with these guys and that's that's what you miss you know you see those guys these guys i'm talking about in that car a couple of them aren't with us anymore uh jimmy rave was one of those guys he's no longer with us um but you know you can run into those guys tomorrow and it's like you've never missed a beat they're your brothers you know and so uh yeah the brotherhood is is that's the backbone of all of it paying your dues is that uh is that important to you too paying oh the dues? you know everybody's got to pay the dues you gotta you, you gotta you gotta crawl before you walk you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have to eat the poop and like it every now and again um you know, it's uh, and paying the dues is whatever paying the dues is. There is no set rules for paying dues. It's it's just whatever it is at the time, whatever, you know, it's whatever the veterans, you know, need you to do. It's it's uh, seeing punk looking at you and, and and trying to make you feel embarrassed or make you feel like you're the odd man out, make you feel like you've got heat in the locker room. But it's all just to just to make you feel shaking is to help make you stronger even though you feel scared at the moment um you know but it's just whatever rib they can think of and you got to be able to keep your cool and, and to know that uh man this is just part you call it hazing if you want to it, it's got to be there a little bit you know you got to know that you could take it you know and then you learn how to dish it out 
and uh but it's all in good fun you know that's how that's what leads to the brotherhood ultimately is just messing with each other we're talking about brotherhood and talk about the the talent in the back like cm punk uh samoa joe's the big fitzes from uh cwf you know the guardian from cwf all the legends or whatever the older how important is it for you guys as youngsters to pay attention to what they have to say well that's you know first and foremost that's part of paying the dues that's part of leading to your brotherhood um you know show respect uh you know the only one thing i'll say that i learned as i as i became a veteran in my own right and a, a leader whatever you uh you know everybody's got to figure it out in your own way there is um you know the thing about wrestling and the in this world that we call professional wrestling is there is no specific right way to do things no uh you know there you're taught basics from the start abc all the way down to z but then once it's once you get in there and you feel it you become your own person you know that alphabet becomes whatever you want it to be you know it's ultimately becomes your own language but the point is is the people you're in there with you know they got to be able to communicate with that language as well so you don't want to you know be uncommunicable but um you know so but you always want to listen to what guys have to offer uh you know show them that respect say thank you so much for being willing to help me i'll never forget colt cabana um you know he would just uh in the fip days he would you know he would mess with me and he wouldn't really give me much advice but then there was this one match um and uh this match is actually on youtube i was showing it to my daughter not long ago it was a, a match i had with hella wicked and it was an opening match of that show and it was mm -hmm. just this was a match where i was becoming a leader in my own right following you know being the captain of that match and leading hella wicked through it and after that match i'll just never forget colt cabana coming up to me like coming straight to me as soon as i got to the back and sitting me down saying hey man you know he wanted to you know say hey instead of this what you should have done here is this and this and you know it was like you know, regardless of whether i would listen to him you know it's that he wanted to come and share that with me finally after you know however long i had been there with him up to that point you know it, it's it's just great that they want to be able to help you so you know but then use it if you can if not but you know that's help that's your brothers there you know listen to them true true so i told you in the beginning that i, I care for eight kids um and at dinner time we talk about what we're going to do my you know, they asked me what what am i doing tonight i said i have a podcast and then so we have one of the, these kids i call them kid questions yeah so it's just rapid fire kid questions um they want to know favorite movie Oh, favorite movie. Oh, oh um, good movie. Uh, man, Forrest Gump. Favorite TV show. Say by the bell. What's your favorite reading? Shack. The Shack. That's good. That's good. Favorite food. Seafood pasta. Cartoon. Oh, Ninja Turtles. You play video games? Yes. Baseball, uh, MLB the show. Good game. Does pineapple belong on pizza? 
No. Do you, know, do you acknowledge the tribal chief? Say what? Do you acknowledge the tribal chief? Do I acknowledge? Uh, everybody has to. He's he's earned that spot. A TikTok question, and it's a really it's a joke. Don't overthink it. Who is the greatest WCW champion ever? David Arquette. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so now we're going to walk into the CWF portion of the show. Um, talk about CWF. Talk about the legends that you have been blessed to meet and have worked with in the CWF. CWF. Well, you know, you got to start with Rob Vaughn. Um, uh, Rob Vaughn. Uh, uh, Chris Angel, I think is what Chris Allman is his name. I'm trying to remember if it was if, uh, if he went by Chris Angel. Is that right? I think so, yeah. And uh, he was my first match, oh, wow. I believe, for CWF. And uh, obviously Ryan Hart, JT, uh, and uh, Shiloh. Oh, Sh and of course Phil, Hello. brother Phil. I'm, that man is just, uh, you know, but it started as, you know, Chris, um, you know, kind of being the main locker room leader, Ryan Hart, of course, being and Shiloh as well. But, you know, Phil was just always, always there. And he just he stayed true to it and just, you know, Rob's right hand man. And uh, but he's just the funniest dude that I know. And, and at the same time, just the best hearted guy. You know, he just loves genuinely and he never is mad about anything. He's. He's, I love Phil. I always look forward to seeing him if I know it's coming up. He's just my favorite dude. Yeah, man. So are you, a, are you a fan of the Bible Club? You know, since they've uh, – I want to say my last time with CWF, which I believe was 2019. Um, so, yeah, it was like right I – was, I was booked to come back, and then the coronavirus hit. And uh, everything got canceled, and then um, I just hadn't been able to come back since. But I think the Bible Club was just starting then, and um, and so yeah, I am a fan of them, man. They're you know I I see the stuff that they've been doing. Um, I want to go back now that they're really running good, and uh, and just do anything with them. Yeah, man. I love those guys. Yeah, there. Bob Vaughn is amazing. Um, I've not I've not interviewed him yet, but he shows up at uh, when they're doing I'm seeing stuff, and I made some great friends there. I cannot say anything negative about it. The plan we talk about a plan, and you know, of course, nothing. You know, as it gets closer, it might work into existence. But my plan was to try to get down there December 2024 for the cage matches. Yeah, and sit, sit, and sit ringside and do some commentary. So on the for the huge pop wrestling podcast, that's my that's my. That's that's December of 2024, though. Yeah, yeah, I I got plans for 2023 already. So, <laughs> but well, I thought they have some big shows. Uh, I mean, I guess um, you know, middle of next year. Or so I think they have some big shows in April or May or something. Well, I'm going on a cruise in May. April's my anniversary. And I don't know what we're doing yet, so I have to, you know, happy life, happy wife, happy wife, Priority, happy life. Man. Priorities, right? <laughs> um. How did you start your involvement and get your involvement with CWF Rockwell? What happened? Where, how did you come across them? All right. Well, I was just telling somebody this story last night, um, <clears throat> knowing that I was going to be talking with you tonight, and uh, uh, but talking about Rob Bond. So I 
like I said, AJ Styles planted a seed in me when I was 14 years old. Um, I uh, and then I went off and lived some wild years. Um, and then uh, at 22, uh, February 7, 2008, I was saved and accepted Christ into my heart. And then for the rest of that year, um, I just was living life like normal. You know, I was saved, but I didn't know what to do um, with what was going on in my heart. Uh, finally, January 18th, 2009, I was baptized uh, at my church. And then it was really weighing on my heart after that. Like, what do God, what do you want me to do? I mean, I was it's like, OK, it's. Am I even supposed to be wrestling? I, you know, I made my promise to God at 13 years old. This is what I was going to do. And I wasn't changing for nothing. And then you hear stories from people, from pastors saying, yeah, I, I said the same thing. And then God came to me and said, nope, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. And then, you know, that's the way it is. You get called to something and that's what you do. But, you know, I felt like God had given me a talent to be a storyteller, to be an artist, so to speak, and to be an athlete at the same time. So until I knew for certain, you know, I just knew I needed to do something with this. But what God do you want me to do? So it uh, turns out AJ Styles and Caprice Coleman, who was also big time in uh, the Wild Side days, had been through CWF before. Uh, so, you know, I you know, remember hearing about it. My buddy uh, Chad Parham, who's also, uh, uh, you know, been with CWF over the years, tag team partner of mine, old buddy. Uh, he had told he had mentioned it to me like, oh, what about? Uh, Christian Wrestling Federation out of Texas. And so this is 2009. I Google CWF, go to the website, looking up the website, and I'm just trying to figure out, oh, what all do they do? You know, just looking them up, reading about them, looking at the pictures and everything. And then I see on the schedule of uh, November 2009 that they're going to Egypt. And so I'm like, oh, I just, it just clicked in that moment. God was telling me, that's what you're doing. You're going to Egypt. Um, you know, you're going to, it just, it just felt like, Hey, that's where he's calling me to go, but he's calling me. I knew I got to get to CWF and, uh, and, you know, let it roll. So I emailed Rob Vaughn and, uh, told him how much I just told him my story, how much I want to come down. He calls me back and we have like an hour talk over the phone. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I'd love to go to Egypt with them, saw that y'all are going to Egypt and I just want to come, you know, be a part of whatever y'all are doing, whatever mission trips you're doing. I want to, I'd love to do it. What I didn't know at the time was Rob gets a lot of calls from people, you know, even big name wrestlers, you know, people calling all the time trying to get a booking because they see they're going somewhere. Um, but Rob, he cares about the real mission. He doesn't care about you know, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, going somewhere big to, to look good, to get views or whatever, you know, he cares about what you're actually going there for. He cares about changing lives. So he wasn't just going to let anybody in. He's told a lot of people no. And that's what I didn't know. Um, Rob actually did something with me that he pretty much never does. He, he gave me that chance, you know, Egypt in itself, that was reserved for the guys like Ryan Hart, like Shiloh, like Chris, the guys who have been there and been loyal to it and, you know, stick with it. Um, you know, that's for them, you know, and here's this newcomer wanting to come in and go to Egypt. But, uh, but Rob told me, all right, here, I'll make you a deal. You pay your way, come down here. And this was in the dead heat, August of 2009. Come pay your way, come to Texas, do a show. 
and uh, and then we'll talk about Egypt. And I came, I said, bet, I'll see you there. And uh, so I came down. The rest is history. You know, we got to go to Egypt. And but hey, you know, Egypt, that was just one little part. Man, we've done so many amazing, amazing things since gone so many places. And I just just going down, just hanging out in Dallas for a day is just the funnest thing in the world for me. It seems like a fun place. Come on, let's go. Um, I'll be there. How have you? How would you compare a locker room at CWF to a locker room at NWA, ROH, any other promotion? Like, and how do you switch from the mindset of you know? Because, but I think the answer is simple. You're once you're a Christian, you should be it should be no big deal. You know, you knew you followed Jesus, and this is what you know. What God, what would Jesus do? Would be that bracelet I'd be wearing because. So is that the mindset you keep when you go to a secular um, event, or how does is it hard to transition between Christian Wrestling Federation to something? Else? I was debating on telling this sort of embarrassing story uh, before I was saved. And maybe 20 years like i said i was i was a wild dude for those few years before i was saved and i remember going to a christian show and i don't remember who was running it i don't remember what it was called but it was in georgia and i did this show um but i remember i was using secular language in the middle of that ring i remember i was had a horrible attitude. I thought that I was, you know, above everybody there. Uh, and I just remember saying something really, really wrong in the, in the middle of the ring, some bad word about some moment and a uh, referee uh, who worked for that company uh, who was in our match looks and says, Seth, this is a Christian show. And uh, I was like, I just remember I was like, well, so, you know, I can say what I want to do. Man, you know, fast forward two years later and I get saved. Once the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, you're right. That's what it, you know, that's what leads the way. So you go into a Christian Wrestling Federation show. That locker room is like no other locker room in the world, man. It's nothing but love going on there. There's ribs. There's, there's, you know, everything going on like that. But it's, it's love and uh, no bad words flying around. You know, it's all happy. It's fun. You got Phil telling just the silliest filled lines that he can think of and Rob laughing at the top of his lungs and anything Phil says. Uh, it's all just good. It's all fun. You go into another locker room, though. That is what stays. You are the uh, you are the thermostat. You're not the thermometer. So that light goes with you. You do not, you are not being affected by the environment you in. You are the effect. You are the health change agent. You are the tool that God uses wherever you go. So, yeah, it's it's not hard for me to change. Everybody knows what Seth is when Seth comes in. Uh, Seth is a follower of Jesus Christ. Seth has had the Holy Spirit in his heart. Seth has been knocked down by the Holy Spirit. Seth is part of one political party, and that's Christian. <laughs> awesome, man. Is there anyone in the CWF locker room that 
If it's your if it's guys you. on, like Big Fitz, JT, The Guardian, Luke Nine, who do you want to take out if you ever get a chance to go out to that uh, CWF Rumble? Hmm. You know, let's see. I don't, I really, I really, I haven't, I haven't really got to wrestle Ryan Hart. I haven't really got to wrestle JT. Uh, I remember I got to work with him a little bit in uh, Egypt. But after that, you know, I remember he went through some changes at some point and he ended up for a minute. Um, so I didn't ever really get to have something fun with him. So if I ever get back, I'd love to do something with him. Uh, but really, man, it's just, you know, at my age, in my place, in, in my career, uh, in my time in wrestling, I am open to anybody they have. Boy, I, you know, whatever they got, I'm just, just happy to be there. Sorry to be cliche about it, but, uh, you know, I'd love to get in there with, with Brian Hart and, you know, two vets going at it, and two brothers going at it, having fun. Uh, but yeah, man, the young talent as well. A lot of them I haven't got to meet. I haven't got to meet them yet. Um, so that that makes it even more fun is when you're meeting them for the first time and then getting in the ring with them for the first time, and then that's how you get to get to know each other is right. uh, bashing each other around a little bit. So hopefully right. one day. Well, I, I stream on a place called Live Dot Space, and um, the founder of Live or co-founder, his name is Todd. He says. He liked, he loved actually. You are the thermostat, not the thermometer. That he liked is, that statement. So, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so much. I live by that. That's one of my favorite. Awesome. I want to look, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to put that in my little, my toolbox, tool belt and go, hmm, because that's, that's a good statement. Thank you. Is there a route, Mount Rushmore of talent that you would like to face in the CWF, NWA, or ROH? Who was your, like, who would you want to face? You know, uh, go back to CWF a little bit. Barrett Brown, I got to do a triple threat match with him uh, at my last ever show with CWF was with uh, Barrett and Chris Allman. And it was a three-way. But I'd love to do a singles with Barrett. And, um, you know, it's, I got to say, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking of guys that I've probably wrestled with before, but I'd love to kind of come back with. And, uh, you know, as far as running around on the indies or something, you know, Anthony Henry, who had his time with uh, with the uh, cruiser cruiserweight division in WWE. And uh, he's actually working. Anthony Henry is signed to AEW now, but he's a great old friend of mine. And uh, I'd love to to go with him again and really test. I, I was once leading him. Now he's going to be the one leading me. Uh, so I love that change of dynamic. I'd love to, to feel a little bit inferior there with somebody and, uh, and, and test my way a little bit. And uh, um, probably even Sal Renaro again. He's got to be on a Mount Rushmore in my life anyway, in my career. Sal Renaro for sure, because uh, he's been such a huge part of my career. And he was my actual last match uh, that I had. We had a, a you know a retirement storyline that we did and he was the guy who uh you know super kicked me Shawn michaels rick flair style and uh i'd love to go with him again and uh who else after that um i got three so far i don't know ar fox maybe i've always wanted to wrestle him I, I think i did one tag match with him right before he started hitting big and i would love to go with him again that'd be fun you mentioned Barrett Brown. Barrett Brown's on the show next Monday. Really? 
Is there any f- shots fired? I mean, are you going to challenge them? I mean, you can do it right on a huge pop wrestling podcast if you want. I mean, I, and we can. <laughs> well, last time I was paying attention, uh, he was, I don't know if he's doing it much anymore, but he was saying, you know, trained by Barrett Brown. That was his, his thing. I don't know if he's still going with that or not, but either way, and I was humoring him a bit because I knew I was kind of on my way the last time we met uh, since my daughter was born and I was, you know, take a break. But now I, I think I'm in the best shape of life right now. And, you know, I know he feels pretty good about himself. He's a very disciplined dude. And uh, he's a guy who balances both, you know, secular and Christian uh, locker rooms very well. But... You know, he can say training all he wants, but let's just go with the old line that there are things I've forgotten that he's never even learned or heard of before. So I could teach him a little something. There you go, Barrett Brown. Um, We'll talk more about that on next Monday's show. So love you, Barrett. Shots for him. Let me see. Close the show. How about do you feel comfortable sharing your testimony? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you know, um, raised in Georgia, just like anybody, you know, you, you family, not really Christian families, uh, not really raised by a Christian family, but you know, this is this is the time in our country where everybody would say they're Christian. Uh, you go knock door to door. You know, most most people would open up their door and say, hey, are you a Christian family? And most of them would say yes, but very few actually would be. Um, so that was kind of the environment. I, I think times are a little different now. I think more people would you know, say, oh, no, we're not no Christian. You know, that's just kind of the, the country that we live in right now. Um, but that's what I was raised under. And, you know, but I always questioned, you know, well, I think there's something out there, but I don't. I don't know for sure. And the biggest thing is if you know there's a God and you accept him into your heart, that means I got to change. I have to I have to not say certain things anymore. I can't do these things anymore. It's like, oh, I'm going to feel like I'm being shackled up now. You know, like I'm I'm tied up. I got to be a good person now. And that's literally the fear that I had. And I know it's a fear that a lot of people have. You know, people may not want to go to church because, oh, they just want my money. You know, oh, I've heard that line so many times. Um, but it's, uh, you, like I said, you get around the right person. You get around an AJ style, somebody that wants to, you know, you know, do that work for God, plant that seed. And, uh, and, and that's that helped me. And it was just being around an AJ Styles, for instance. I, I give him far more credit. Once I really put thought into it, he was a very important part because then every time I'd be around him, he was somebody I wanted to be like. So that's right. what you want to be for people around you. Just be that positive influence that, man, I want to be like that guy. You know, I want to have what he has. And uh, and so you remember that. And then a lot of times what happens is things start to hit rock bottom for you. You may be going through something tough. And um, and so, yeah, at the time I was going through a pretty pretty not with like a job or anything but i guess uh maybe in relationships at the time and and uh and then i met somebody um that you know that was a christian and was uh you know like a pentecostal christian and that was the first time i started you know learning about that pentecostal holy spirit 
uh, you know, way of being a Christian. And but it just again, it's that, you know, being around those people, you know, at this point, I'm 22 years old. That's, uh, you know, from 2007 coming into 2008. And I just I was around the right people at the right time. And I just wanted that. I just I felt, you know, I, I remember I remember going to something at UGA campus, like a Christian meeting at UGA campus, like a small group type thing. And uh, watching a, uh, a Tom Brady interview, where he's talking about he's got these three rings, whatever he had, however many rings he had at the time. But he still felt like something was missing. You know, that was way back then. Tom Brady just now retired. You know, it's like that dude never could find that piece. But he's just missing something. And uh, and that's how it feels in your life is you're like you're just missing something. But then when you're like, but you meet you're around the right people. They have that warmth. They feel like, you know, they're fulfilled with something. And you find out what that is, and that's Jesus Christ. So on February 7, 2008, I was with, uh, you know, some fellow Christian people, prayed over me. I accepted Christ into my heart. And, you know, then it's now what do I do with this, God? What do you want me to do? And that's how you live your life every single day is what can I do to honor you today, God? Please. And, and you know, what? find out what your talents are. Find out what you're meant for. You know, what are you good at? You may not even know it yet. It might be something you've never thought of, but it, it, God's got some kind of plan for you. And when you have it, there's nothing like it. There is no shack. Man, shackles are gone. You know, stop worrying about, oh, I got to change. Nope. You're going to be happy with this kind of change. You know, it, it's nothing like it. Absolutely, man. I can tell my, my mom passed away on the 22nd of October. And um, the scripture from Psalms 30, 11, and 12 says, find joy in the morning you know that took a lot of people it's find joy in the morning how am i supposed to find joy with something like that that just happened but um yeah. that means that verse means so much to me because when i got to the funeral before i spoke to my front word about my mom all my cousins all my nieces nephews even my kids would share funny stories of mom and that's the joy that you want to find in the morning because there is joy. And she's not sick no more. She's not in, she's in heaven. She's, you know, man, she was a, she was a Jesus freak, freak from, from top to bottom. This woman, she loved Jesus. She uh, was amazing, you know, and I'm um, so, but yeah, every day you live it and you see it, you know, and I know, I know that I was just telling the story. I know the difference between doing what you want to do. And to what God wants to do. Yeah. And I found that out the hard way, I can tell you. Um, like I said, we're in, a, in a, um, working with youth, you know, in child care. And um, we came about to do that because, um, I don't know what that actually But we came to do it by, because we, um, God was speaking to me at the same time he was speaking to my wife when we lived in Michigan. I didn't know it. He didn't know it. And we came together at lunch and shared and we started bawling that this is what God wanted for us. So in, in my heart, I knew that's what we wanted we needed to do. I knew that was what God wanted to do. Well, fast forward eight, well, four more years, and I decided I wasn't happy where I was. I wanted somewhere else to do the same thing. And I painted this picture, oh, Disney World. You know, we could be Florida pass holders, blah, blah, blah. And Mind you, I was on no meds at this point in time. We made the move because that's what Scott wanted to do. 
Dude, like two years later, um, I'm on cholesterol meds, heart meds, and everything. And we moved away from there back to where we were when where God sent us the first time, and we've been happy since. You know, and God's blessed us over and over. So I know there's the difference between doing it my way and God's way, and I'm always going to do it God's way because if I don't, man, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, um, it's always yep. It, that's how it, that's how it goes, man. You try to do it your way, you're gonna find out fast, and then you take that risk, you take that jump, and yeah, it, that's yeah. an awesome story, man. And I'm sorry yeah. to hear about your mother. And <clears throat> thank you. Um, she's a blessing. She's I know she's up looking down at this podcast with joy, you know. So I'd be really know. I know that. I know without. I know that. I know that. I know. You know. And it's, yeah. That's why it's you know. Yeah. So one last question. Um. I'd like to, could you tell the fans where to find you um, and what is your big goal for that in 2023 and into 2024? Is there a promotion you want to get to? Is there, what is the goal? And then can you tell everybody where to, um, where to find you? And after you're doing that, I will play a, a exit song, but don't go nowhere. Stay in the lobby because I would like to say thank you. Absolutely. Um, big goals for me. Well, first off, um, Seth Delay, you know, come find me. Type in Seth Delay. As far as I know, I'm the only Seth Delay walking around this earth. I don't think there's any others. And, uh, you know, just come find me. Check me out. Follow me. I'm always, uh, you know, trying to have fun with whatever I do, me and my little girl, me and my boys, um, you know. And as far as wrestling is concerned. And also, uh, you know, I work with the youth ministry at my church. And so it's just uh, – constant growth and and trying to you know help grow god's kingdom um as far as wrestling goes you know i've just started back after my hiatus and so uh but so far things are feeling really good everybody's really happy with my work i'm happy with my work and that's a rare thing it's it's rare to actually feel like whoa i actually like what i'm doing already and uh because i thought it would take a minute before i'd start really feeling good so as far as you know whatever's next Right before I uh, took my hiatus, I was um, I was really trying to work with um, there's a promotion called like Wildcat Sports out of Louisiana. Luke Hawks runs it. and He's a great old friend of mine. And uh, I, I was one of the first to contact him to try and be a part of his promotion. And we started a connection, but then it just ended up not working out and uh, things fell through. But I've always wanted to go out there and actually be a part of his show. And um, and, you know, other than that, man, it sky's the limit. You know, just get flowing good and start killing it wherever we go and come back to Texas, obviously. And and uh, let's just see what God has in store. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on, sharing your story all the way from the beginning as a kid up to now. I wish you luck, my friend, and, um, in the tw- end of 2023 and the 2024. Maybe we'll, our paths will cross. Maybe I'll get to meet you in person. Um, who knows? But. I'll stay in touch with you on social media. Uh, I love what you're doing, and I and bless your family. So, again, don't go anywhere. Um, I'll meet you in the lobby, okay? Yeah.